you're listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Not so bad yourself? I'm doing great. I had donuts today and they were part of the conference. So just a reminder, we're here at the Authenticate Conference 2022 in Seattle, put on by the FIDO Alliance. Uh, Andrew Shikiar, the executive director, has done us a, a major solid by um, making the podcast booth available for us and making introductions to a lot of the guests that we've had this week. So thank you to Andrew. And also, thanks for the donuts. <laughs> yeah, more importantly, who cares about other stuff? Let's just talk <laughs> the donuts. Uh, you know, I, I'm a fan of any conference that lets you kind of create your own thing. So for those who weren't here, and I'm sorry you missed it, they had sort of like these fresh, like kind of like donut holes, and then they had the different like toppings that you could put on top of it, like cinnamon and sugar, and I think there was like strawberry and stuff like that. So uh, well done. Um, I don't know if strategically it was the right decision to make because it was just after the first morning sessions. So I can kind of feel sort of like that that sugar coma coming on in a little bit. <laughs> so we're going to have to fight through it like the professionals that we are, Jim. Yeah, that might be diabetes, but <laughs> hopefully not. Uh, yeah, Jim, you're a total downer this week sometimes. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and get to our guest. Uh, we're very excited to have her here. Her name is Sarah Clark. She's the Senior Vice President for Digital Identity at MasterCard. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Did you get any donuts? I did not. I somehow missed that entire experience, so now I'm regretful. Yeah. Okay, well, um, you can live vicariously through us and apparently diabetes, so thanks, Jim. <laughs> Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about your identity background, because one of the things that we like to do on the show is whenever we have someone new is to really kind of learn where they came from, what their identity origin story is, um, and so it kind of helps put the conversation into context. We're going to talk about a few different things here today. Um, but for those who aren't familiar with Sarah, um, who is, you know, how did you get into the identity space? Is it something that you chose or did it choose you? So I've been in tech for about 25 years now, and I've always been attracted to bleeding edge, really hard problems. I don't know, I'm a glutton for complexity and maybe punishment, so to speak. Um, but regarding identity, I've been in the identity industry for about a decade. And it came about uh, because I worked for a company and we were looking for a way to expand our products. So after doing market research with banks, we found that they had a pretty big problem with KYC and friction. And we thought we could solve that uh, by expanding our product set to go into identity. So that's how I ended up leading an identity verification business uh, for a number of years. We became a global leader uh, in digital identity verification. And we specialized in enabling people to use their mobile phone to capture a photo of their government-issued ID as a way to help banks uh, optimize their onboarding process. So I did that for a number of years and learned a lot about identity and, quite frankly, fell in love with the space. So I ended up leaving in order to seek broader experience uh, so I started my own consultancy, uh, worked again with banks and other major corporations, did consulting with some smaller companies, and really got a 
broader feel for the space. Um, I also spent some time at a leader in biometrics and government platforms. Uh, and eventually I ended up at MasterCard, where I really uh, believe that we are leading what will be the future of digital identity. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that. <laughs> Sounds to me like uh, this is a little bit like the Star Trek uh, episodes, like the Enterprise, like boldly going where, I don't know, no other identities have gone before, which is very cool. Um, you gave a talk yesterday about the use of FIDO in a reusable digital identity network. For folks who did not attend that or haven't yet, let's just say, because um, we'll be able to watch it on a replay, um, can you give us kind of a synopsis of, of what that, that talk was about? Yeah, so let me start with what we're doing, uh, what my team is building at MasterCard. So that is, in fact, a globally interoperable, reusable digital ID network. And I always try to say that without screwing it up because <laughs> it's quite a lot to say. Um, and what that means in really simple terms is you can take your MasterCard and you can use it anywhere in the world you know what's going to happen, the merchant knows what's going to happen, and the issuer bank knows what's going to happen. So it's a standard process that's very easy. Uh, apply that same concept to identity. So in the future, you will own your own digital identity, and you'll easily be able to use that anywhere you want to do business with anyone in the world. And what will facilitate that is the ID network by MasterCard. So reusable ID that you can assert so you can share your identity and additional credentials where you need to. So yesterday I was introducing that concept to the audience uh, because it's not intuitive to a lot of folks uh, that MasterCard would be in this type of business. Um, it, but it truly makes a lot of is sense. a new network. Uh, and I was also talking about the uh, importance of FIDO with respect to our vision. So in order to manage and share your reusable ID, uh, you would use a mobile app. And FIDO is how we see individuals authenticating into that mobile app. It's standard. Uh, it's easy for the end user, and it's a phishing-resistant, very secure method of authentication. So it's something that we have built into our reusable digital ID experience. This seems like you're laying the groundwork for what a lot of other organizations are going to need down the road who are, you know, maybe not in the financial services industry. Do you kind of see it that way as well? Uh, yeah. In fact, my business works way outside of financial services with respect to the use cases that we're satisfying. Uh, so, for example, one driver for reusable ID globally is age verification. So, uh, you know, rightfully so, the regulations are changing so that we have a more secure overall global ecosystem when it comes to buying restricted goods. So, for example, in Australia, where the reusable ID network is fully live, you can use your ID to assert your age in order to buy liquor online. And what's good about this is, A, you know, your kids won't be able to do that. It's secured by your biometric. And, you know, as a guiding principle, the platform is very secured, and I can talk more about that. But the other benefit is that when you do share your age, you're not sharing your 
full government-issued ID with that liquor vendor, you are sharing a proof that you are above the age required to make that purchase. So that's a high-frequency activity and one where, ideally, you know, more data privacy is better because I'm sure we've all observed that too much PII spread around everywhere is creating breaches and creating egregious increases in fraud. So we're trying to create a platform of the future that can be part of the solution uh, to solve for that. Can can we talk a little bit about that, how that would work in sort of the real world? Because I, I like this example of right, the age verification, right? Uh, you went to the purchase of alcohol, which is fantastic. I think about it from like a bar perspective, right? You've got the bouncer at the door and they're checking IDs and you're you're sharing way more information. You're giving them your their entire ID, mm-hmm. your name, address, birthday, right, all kinds of stuff. When all they really need to know is that binary decision, right? Are you old enough to be in here? It's either a yes or a no. There's really no gray area on that one, um, and that's collecting a bunch a lot of different data. And you mentioned having this app that would sort of be like the wallet, right? That I guess mm-hmm. kind of stores this information. Um, how would that particularly work? Is that you know something that like Mastercard would? It would be like a Mastercard app, um, and then I don't know if you can talk about this, but like how would it work with other issuers? For example, if you know there's a, a comparable Visa wallet or an American Express sort of wallet. And making sure that things are sort of interoperable and not getting into the situation, which frankly has been a concern sometimes around like some of the FIDO uh, folks of being locked to a specific platform, which I think is getting better. And there are certainly plans to have more cross-platform um, syncing kind of capabilities, uh, but maybe kind of to walk us through like how you see this kind of working in your mind's eye. Yeah, sure. So let me start with your example of the bouncer really quick, and then I'll get into the interoperability. Um, Just to be clear, a digital identity is not something that you can only use through to, you know, to another mobile app or online. It's designed to be true omni-channel. And in fact, we're enabling uh, call-in customer support as well as in-person use cases. So in the example that you just gave, uh, we're working, for example, in Brazil with uh, check-in use cases to events. So the bouncer at the bar, even though that particular use case may not be our focus right now, uh, that's completely analogous. And I believe the future should be that you just scan that yes or no when you're entering age-restricted areas. And in fact, we're facilitating age discounts and other things for in-person interactions, such as rides on public transport. Um, To answer your question about interoperability, so this is a big pillar of our vision is interoperability. So the ID network is designed to interoperate with other identity wallets, as well as other identity providers. So as an example, if there's an OEM wallet, um, and I can't really sort of talk about names or anything, but we are designed to interoperate with an OEM wallet that may be on your device, and you'll be seeing more about that in the future. Uh, or perhaps there's a uh, domestic or national digital identity scheme uh, that already exists at scale. Um, if that scheme wanted to enable their citizens with cross-border capabilities, they could also plug into the ID network. So we're really focused on providing the network, providing the sort of framework 
for interoperability, which is global, and that's its own whole topic. Um, and that can also, you know, work well to create a true global ecosystem. I'm going to throw some words out there, but I'm assuming that this architecture includes blockchain, includes verifiable credentials. It, you mentioned FIDO, so some kind of strong authentication capabilities. I'm assuming that also there's maybe some gaps in the market that didn't fulfill your, you know, your need for your total architecture. What was your approach to that? Are you looking for, did you look for like best of breed solutions and use some of those and, and, you know, integrate the rest and maybe you have to build some custom components, trying to get a, a vision for how did you go, go about attacking from a technical perspective, such a big architectural problem? Um, so we do have a really strong commitment to standards. Uh, we are not blockchain based. Um, to be clear, at this point in time, um, that might change in the future. I don't know, but uh, that is not the case right now. Uh, verifiable credentials uh, have recently been rat ratified by the W3C. Uh, we have embraced that. And in fact, we very much are aligned with the vision of an identity wallet, not only having uh, proof like kind of the core proof that you are who you claim to be backed by a government-issued credential, but you might other have other pieces of verifiable cr credentials in your identity wallet. Um, so as an example, we're working with universities in Brazil to have a reusable ID facilitate smoother, more efficient, more secure university life, and there's multiple use cases there. Mm -hmm. We envision that also becoming a university credential that could then be used for student discounts by retailers or specific loans by financial services. So that is definitely the direction that we're moving in. Um, and I think if you think about all the potential that just rolls into a lot of value and a lot of easier experiences for both the individual and the businesses. So you're here at the conference, just like we are. What are some of the highlight moments that have been sort of your purview as you've been through here and your experience? Well, first, I, I'm impressed by the attendance. Um, there's a lot of very engaged folks from, you know, other parts of the world that have come to this conference. It's my first time being at this specific conference. Um, so that is something that has really struck me as being you know, quite impressive in terms of the engagement and the attendance. Um, and I mean, part of what I'm here to learn more about is Passkey and everything that's happening with FIDO2. I think it's really groundbreaking. I think it's really exciting to see Apple, Google, and Microsoft embrace that. Um, so that part has been particularly interesting to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of still thinking through um, what that means in the broader context, I think a lot of us are, um, but I've really been kind of impressed uh, with the forward momentum when it comes to embracing the cross-device uh, capabilities of FIDO. Yeah, it's, it's, I'll give a shout out to Andy Hindle. He's one of the, I think, content chairs for this. So great job, Andy. The, the content is top-notch. Uh, I know MasterCard has been really part of the FIDO Alliance for multiple years now. I'm not sure how many, <laughs> um, but Seems to me like it's a very future 
facing sort of adoption of this sort of growing standard that it took years to get to where we're at today. I guess, why is that, or I guess, why was that Fiat Alliance so important to MasterCard? And what was it that MasterCard saw that was like, yeah, we, we want to be part of this? As a general principle, MasterCard's very engaged in standards um, on a lot of fronts. And identity has been a theme at MasterCard for quite some time. Uh, so the business that I lead is an emerging business, but it's something that has taken time to conceptualize and plan. Uh, but FIDO in general, the topic of authentication, I mean, that's also of interest when it comes to payments. You know, what is the future when it comes to verifying you are you, not just in the context of reusable ID, uh, but also payments. Um, so we have, you know, many innovative projects at MasterCard, and we have a lot of commitment to standards in general. So as another example, we're also committed to the uh, OpenID Foundation. They've had quite a large presence here, um, and I can name kind of numerous other tr trust over IP. Um, I could kind of go on and on, but we are um, engaged with and active members of quite a number of standards groups. Uh, you shared a little bit of sort of like your vision for identity or digital identity, maybe at, at MasterCard. Um, first of all, does it have a, has it, it needs to have a catchy name, <laughs> right? So we, we're calling Passkey this, this thing that sort of the industry has adopted. So I'd love to hear more about sort of like your vision of how this works sort of in the future, because I'm picturing um, uh, the fifth element and, you know, multi-pass <laughs> this thing that kind of does everything that gives uh, people access to things. Um, share with us, you know, what is this, this grand vision that, that you're looking to design? Yeah. So like I said, it is a new network. And with that comes kind of a separation in terms of the trust mark that an individual will recognize it by. So the catchy name is very, very simple. Uh, it's ID. Um, so we do have an ID trust mark um, that we've started to move forward with in market. And similar to the, you know, the MasterCard logo, when an individual sees that, you know, whether it's on a sharing economy site or uh, to sign up for a wireless device, they'll know that they can use their digital ID to facilitate that transaction. And the concept is very simple. It needs to have simple user experience and very, very high trust. So for the individual, when they see that ID trust mark, they should be able to scan their biometric, see, give consent to the data they're sharing, and they're done. They don't need to scan a document. They don't need to fill out a form. Uh, you know, in the future, when they have multiple credentials, that will just be sort of sent in that same one tap, give consent, and you're done. And that's part of why FIDO was important and the user experience around using a biometric to unlock your digital ID. It has to be very secure and very, very easy. Um, our other commitment to market is higher trust. So I guess another trend that I want to point out that we're engaged with are digital IDs, mobile driver's licenses that are being issued by governments. Uh, here in the United States, we have mobile driver's licenses that are still pretty nascent, but quite a number of states are uh, beginning to issue them. 
And that's something that will accelerate, and it is happening globally. Uh, for example, we're live in Australia, and we're also integrating to that type of ecosystem. So we're committed to also uh, tapping in to emerging digital ID initiatives by governments globally as part of our vision to bring higher trust along with easier user experience uh, to the global market. Yeah, and I've, I've been thinking about what are the business outcomes that MasterCard is looking to achieve with this pretty major investment, right? I got to think it's reduction in fraud, better user experience of onboarding, things like that. Are, are there other things? Uh, I mean, those are the two big pillars. Uh, you know, user experience equals top line growth for businesses globally. Uh, when you can acquire users, facilitate transactions, uh, reauthenticate users, get rid of password resets. I guess passwords are going away, but uh, you know, there's a lot of lift to businesses for just having an easier way to verify that somebody is in fact who they claim to be. Um, and it can also open up sort of a world of new experiences. Um, so one example of that is we're focused on a lot of hybrid user experiences. So you start something online uh, and then you finish it in person. Maybe curbside pickup is a good example of that. There's a lot of fraud uh, with that because the wrong person goes and picks up the goods um, and then they're gone. So you can imagine there's just a whole world of different kind of experiences that you can create if you can make that point of knowing you are who you claim to be much, much easier uh, and maybe knowing something about them and or, you know, they meet the age, you can facilitate a lot of growth. And then, like you said, reduction in fraud is the other big value lever. Um, you know, synthetic identity fraud is out of control. Um, in the U.S. alone last year, it rose significantly and the measured known amount is to the tune of over $20 billion being sucked out of financial services. Big problem. Uh, account opening fraud rose by 108% last year. So reducing fraud and protecting not only businesses, but individuals who are victims of identity fraud. And, you know, I'll just point out that the future is identity and payments uh, should merge, uh, will merge. And, you know, certainly that's part of the North Star vision as well. Do you think card issuers and other institutions similar to yourself will have an easier time getting this done because of the information that you're already collecting as part of like an onboarding experience anyway to get a MasterCard, right, whatever it may be. Um, I think that onboarding question is a question that a lot of organizations struggle with is how do we get people to use our thing? You've already got a pretty good audience, right? People should be using or want to be using your product, right, for payments you know, and things like that. Do you think that gives MasterCard and other, you know, similar organizations a leg up in sort of developing this, um, you know, uh, more of like a centralized identity platform? Um, well, I guess one correction I might make is it's not centralized. So we're not currently using blockchain as a technology yet, uh, but we do follow a decentralized architecture. And MasterCard as a company has a huge commitment to data privacy and doesn't actually store really any information about any individual. And we think that's really key to the future of identity. I certainly think that's very key. You own your data. 
MasterCard does not own your data and will not be creating any form of centralized repository uh, with your data. Uh, the reason that we think that we are well positioned to solve this problem is more about the fact that we run another network at scale. So we have the experience with the governance, uh, the operating rules, um, you know, in identity, if a bad identity gets passed to a business and something harmful happens down the road, there needs to be some, you know, governance, recourse, rules for how that's handled. And that is a key component of what we bring to the table. So if you look at self-sovereign identity, uh, which is sort of a related um, area that we certainly embrace many of the principles of, uh, in the industry, there's the concept of turning the triangle into a diamond because the governance part is actually important for it to get traction in the commercial market. So using that paradigm, you can kind of think of MasterCard and our experience running a network at scale as bringing that. And that's what I mean by <clears throat> us being committed uh, to, to, to really focusing on the network aspect of it. I'm glad you were able to clarify that because that was a, I, I want to make sure that, that point was very clear that the ownership of the data is not in one person's hands or one company's hands, but I'm glad you were able to help me clarify that in my head. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's a revolutionary topic. Though. I mean, yeah. the way you're talking about it is like we've been hearing that from vendors in the space for years, but here's an actual practitioner who works for a company that says, "This your data is not my company's data. We don't own your data. You own your data. That's revolutionary to me. Yeah, I think it's revolutionary as well, and that's why I'm honesty and business come to on. be leading this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, along those lines, it's like interesting as you were giving your origin story, how you got into IAM. You're talking about several things that were, you know, what I would call a traditional IAM track. Some of the stuff that you mentioned, like KYC, like that's the hot topic for a lot of folks and where they are in the career and solving those issues now so that's you know kind of part of your track the question i'm going to hit you with is one that we did a special episode on and we talked to a lot of practitioners or people who've been in this industry for a long time we all associated ourselves with identity and access management and now we've got this term digital identity so the question i'm going to ask you is what's the difference between digital identity and identity and access management and there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah, there's no right or wrong answer, and it's not an easy one. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, uh, I do think the word digital identity is overused in the market. So the way that I see the future and really today is a digital identity is an individual's identity. And honestly, I think it should be defined as an identity that that individual owns. Um, and everything else kind of falls into the identity verification, identity and access management, you know, identity proofing. There's a lot of terms in lingo that have been used for many years around that. Um, so that's the way that I would like to see the market <laughs> describe these things, <clears throat> which I know is maybe not the way, you know, most people uh, would define it. It's interesting. I think everybody defines it a little bit differently, but I like that definition because it aligns very much with everything you said today, right? Is that that vision around ownership of the identity 
and your title being Senior Vice President of Digital Identity, right? It's not like an accident occurred. Right. Yeah, exactly. It is interesting that we've asked that question, I think, kind of officially now, like 10, 12 times maybe. And there's been 10 to 12 different answers. Like it's, it's fascinating that based on the person who's answering and their context that they're, you know, heading into the IAM space, it really shapes how they answer that question. So I think it's, I think it's very interesting. Uh, I know you've got a flight to catch, so we're going to help get you out of here on time and make sure you can get home. Uh, but we want to end things on a lighter note. Um, and we were kind of talking about before we, we hit the record button here about some of the things that you work on outside of identity. One of them was snowboarding. And I'm just curious, you know, what is your bucket list snowboarding trip? So, yes, I am a snowboarder and I probably go down stuff that's, you know, maybe not too smart for me to be going down, but I love it. I love the thrill and I just, you know, love black diamonds. But I have actually never been snowboarding outside of the United States. So whether it's South America or the Alps, um, that's my bucket list. It's always hard to kind of make the time for that kind of a trip, but I'm going to do it before I stop going down black diamonds. So I've never been skiing or snowboarding. How do I get started? Like, what is the pro tip that you can give me for me to get off my butt and try it? Uh, well, I would go with snowboarding and take a lesson. That's it. I mean, take a lesson. It's always best to have somebody give you the right form instead of, creating bad habits and hurting yourself. My tip is to wear those, you know, make sure you have the skiing pants because if you end up on your butt a lot, you don't want to be in jeans and, you know, long underwear or something and have a wet butt all day. Yes. It's not a good thing. <laughs> all right. Thumb, thumbs down to wet butts on uh, the Identity of the Center podcast. So, uh, yeah. Um, all right. We're going to go ahead and leave it there uh, for now as someone decided to open the door. Thank you very much. Live conference. Um, any final takeaways, uh, Sarah, as we kind of let you get on your flight here? Oh, uh, boy, that's that's a good one. I guess uh, check us out. <laughs> um, and yeah, where do we go to get more information on this? Is this something that's publicly available that we can like? Yeah, put show notes? actually, you can go to idservice.com or you can find me on LinkedIn and shoot me a message. And, uh, you know, I'd love to learn more about, you know, partners, customers, what people are thinking. You know, it's a big vision, a lot of moving parts. Uh, and it's always good to connect with others in the industry. Yeah, that's how I found you. I just hit you up on LinkedIn and started uh, yeah. following her. We got connected, and you post a lot of good stuff. So definitely good Thank to you. follow. So I'll include in our show notes a link to your LinkedIn and then also to idservice.com so that way people can easily reference it. Um, thank you so much for being part of this. Um, very much uh, appreciative that you were able to set aside the time for us. Uh, we're going to go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, any, um, if you have, I don't know where I'm going, I'm going with this now, but uh, if you want to find us on the web, we're, we're at identitycenter.com and we're on Twitter at IDAC Podcast. And with that, we'll talk with everyone in the next one. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com.